Only God is the true judge of our motivations. We shouldn't judge others. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembro. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, where we are learning how to live as Christians by reading the Bible and understanding what it says. Now, the world and all of the work on the internet and everything else tells us to live one way. But the Bible says, now there's another way. And it's different than the world. Very interesting. We're going to explore 1 Corinthians 4 in three minutes. Corey? I'm taking a look at a controversial artifact today. Ryan? Well, the Bible states in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that thieves will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yet Jesus in Luke 23 tells a thief that he will be with him in paradise. Today, I'm going to be dealing with this supposed contradiction. All right. Very good. That's excellent. Janice? Segment today is Live for Christ. All right, take your Bible guide and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's read it and understand what God says. First Corinthians 4, 1 through 13. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, Judge nothing before the time, until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written." that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? You are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign, that we also might reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last, as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst and we are poorly clothed, and beaten, and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1-13 through 13. First Corinthians 4, 5, and 6, we continue reading this uh, letter 
to the church at Corinth that's really interesting. Now, when we first come to Jesus Christ, it is an amazing thing to feel the relief of pain and the lifting of the burden of guilt. Really, it's true. I mean, Jesus frees us from our own failures. And so often people report feeling like they have a new lease on life that encourages them to follow Christ as well. But there's also a cost to following Christ, isn't there? As a whole, the world does not follow Christ. So things in our lives have to change to facilitate us following him. We may not be able to participate in a lot of things that we were doing beforehand. If we were heavy partiers or involved in gossip or lying or any form of habitual sin, we have to stop. Now, this change of lifestyle often alienates new believers from some of their old friends. This trade-off is so worth it. Our hearts have the new wine of the Holy Spirit. But Paul talks about how unsightly the gospel can seem to the world. There is a definite cost, but Christ paid the ultimate cost for us. He can help us and empathize with us. We can survive all things because of God's great love. There was a song that was written some time back, and it was the love of God, the love of God. And he talks about the amazing things that God's love does. There is no way to properly describe the love of God until we have been born again. We have come into the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Very interesting. Now take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage. This is very interesting as we pray a cost to the kingdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth and he's highlighting some of these things. He's, we're going to see that in a minute. Father, help us today as we open up the Bible and as we consider this and look at it, teach us your way and show us your path through these 13 verses. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we said together, all of us together, said amen and amen. Now, I want you to consider this carefully because God is speaking through his word. Here is what it says in chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself. Yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring or both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts, the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Now, Paul writes and he explains this to us. Only God is the true judge of our motivations and actions. As Christians, we should not focus on judging others, but focus on faithfully living to the measures of Christ. Do you realize I'm saying this to a generation 
that has social media as its companion. Do not judge others. Seems like that's all we do in social media. Judge others, and then we're rewarded for it. It's the total opposite of what Paul says. He says, don't judge others. You don't do that. He said, you need to live faithfully. That's challenging for us, beloved. We need to consider this in the context of social media and the internet today. Well, let's go on because this is interesting. First Corinthians chapter four, verse six. Here's what it says. Now, these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. <laughs> what is Paul saying? Paul reminds the church not to build up judgments against each other. In today's world of social media, what should not, we should not seek to judge others, but win people to the Lord. I, I like to say it this way. I say this a lot when I preach. I'll say to people, social media, how many are on the internet? How many are on, watch YouTube? Have you ever put your testimony on YouTube? What? My testimony, what are you talking about? I mean, how you came to Christ. Well, yeah, but that might affect what I say. Absolutely. It does. Because how we come to Christ is important. Because that's our life. You can't have two lives. You can't have one life over here and live the Christian life over here. You can't do that. If we follow Christ, we follow Christ. Nothing has been so revealing as social media, and especially in today's world. So I would suggest that you do that. Put your testimony on YouTube, Facebook, on X, or whatever else you want to call it. I'm telling you, it's really interesting, isn't it? Let's go back to the scripture. Okay, 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why then do you boast as if you had not received it? You are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign, that we also might reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death, for we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. But you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst. And we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. And we labor working with our own hands, being revealed. We bless. Being reveled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed. We entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the off-curring of all things until now. Which leads me to the last point. Paul reminds the church that there is a kind of trouble that comes with teaching and preaching the Bible. 
there will be no persecution or there will be persecution, but we must live to follow Christ. There will be no persecution for those who do not follow Christ, but there will be persecution for those who do. Father, help us today to take your word at our hearts seriously. Hi, Rod Hembry. We go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting. It's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. That's right, on your phone, your iPhone or your Android phone. And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there. All right, today we are going to be taking a look at a, it's not even a bit of a controversial artifact, it is just a controversial artifact. We are going to be taking a look at an ossuary today, or a bone box. Now, bone boxes were used for a very specific time period uh, in, in Israel, and um, they were used for secondary burial. So essentially, you would allow a body to decompose, and then you would come back and you would take the bones and you would put it in the ossuary or the bone box. This one just so happens to seemingly claim that it's James is the brother of Jesus. Take a look. James, the brother of Jesus, is mentioned a few times in the New Testament, first as a skeptic of Jesus and then as a changed man leading the Church of Jerusalem. Both non-Christian and Christian sources record that James was killed for his faith on the authority of the Sanhedrin. Josephus says that he was stoned. The Christian sources say he was pushed from the pinnacle of the temple, where he was addressing the crowd, and then stoned when the fall didn't kill him. In the early 2000s, news broke about an interesting ossuary dated to the time of James that had an inscription reading, James, son of Joseph, brother of Jesus. This erupted the scholarly and popular worlds into a frenzy of forgery claims, news articles, documentaries, and a famous legal trial. But what do we know about the ossuary? First, the admitted reason that most scholars dislike the ossuary is because it's an unprovenanced artifact. That is, it was not discovered in an official excavation, but was looted and sold on the antiquities market, a fate of countless antiquities that no doubt hold many clues about the past. The issue for scholars is that if they study and promote unprovenanced artifacts, they're fueling looting in which priceless information is lost. If there's a market for unprovenanced artifacts, there will be looters who will supply that market. Not good for historical study. However, when an important artifact comes to light, should it be ignored on the basis of its discovery? There are a few general facts about the James ossuary that are important to know. First, an ossuary was used for secondary burial. A body would be laid out in a tomb and allowed to decompose. Then the bones would be gathered, placed in the stone ossuary, and put to the side of the tomb, allowing for further family burials. This practice had a short life in Jerusalem, lasting from the first century BC to the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. Despite a lengthy legal battle charging the ossuary's owner with forgery, none of the expert witnesses called concluded that the inscription was a forgery, resulting in the owner's acquittal. In fact, two of the world's leading experts in ancient inscriptions from this time have studied the inscription and declared it to be authentic. 
Other scholars disagree with them vehemently, but they're admittedly not experts in ancient inscriptions. Even with an authentic inscription, the James Ossuary is only potentially the bone box of James the Just. Statistically, it's been concluded that there is at least a 32% probability that there were two James, son of Joseph, brother of Jesus, living in Jerusalem at the time, and an 18% probability that there were three. Though it is unusual for a family member other than the father to be given to a person in death, meaning there was something special about James's brother Jesus that made him want to be linked with him in death. So there you go. Take that as it as as you will. Uh, I hope that this gives you a bit more information. I know it does give you a bit more information than what you know. The James Ossuary will routinely pop up online in online conversations, and I've had a lot of people ask me kind of where it is. But you have to track down its history and and really track down which experts are the ones saying that they believe it's authentic, and which experts are the ones saying they think it's not authentic, and kind of go by that because I mean the average person, you or I, we don't know, you know, we're not ancient epigraphers and we can't just go and have access to these things. So we have to do a little bit of careful looking into it and then make our decisions based on that. So the more you know, right? I always ask you the question, what do you think? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because it's very possible that this could be the brother of Jesus Christ. It's very yeah. possible. Yeah, it's definitely possible. I mean, I think I think it's really interesting that the experts who have not, who have said that they believe it's authentic, that's what they do, as opposed so to... So they're, the, they're the guys who are in it full time. And, but there are like really good archaeologists who think that it's not authentic, but they're not epigraphers. So that's not their area of expertise. So this is one that kind of goes back and forth, but it's really interesting. And, and you know, maybe the future holds more. But uh, this is all we got. That's fascinating <laughs> stuff. Very good. Thank you, Corey. Ryan? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, our assigned reading today, of course, is 1 Corinthians chapters 4 through 6. And some see a problem in chapter 6 because Paul here says that thieves will not, will not inherit the kingdom of God. But if you remember back to Luke 23, Jesus told the thief on the cross beside him that he would be with him in paradise. So can thieves inherit the kingdom of God or not? Let's study. Many have been led to believe that the Bible contains many mistakes and contradictions, and therefore cannot be the Word of God as it claims. However, as the late Old Testament scholar Gleason Archer pointed out, it is highly significant that no such mistake has ever yet been proved to the satisfaction of a court of law, although various attempts have been made to do so. Indeed, and attempts are still being made. For example, critics point out that the Bible states that thieves will not inherit the kingdom of God, yet Jesus told a thief that he would be with him in paradise. Indeed, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Then in Luke 23, 43, Jesus says to one of the thieves, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. To answer this alleged contradiction, we need go no further than the very next verse. Indeed, in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, speaking about the aforementioned list of sinners, it says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. 
Commentator Dan Letha notes that this chapter is written to followers of Jesus Christ who have had all of their many sins forgiven and washed away by the powerful and cleansing blood of the crucified and risen Savior. And such were some of you indicates this list of sins is a record of their past, but they repented and had been freed from the bondage of their sin and became a new creation. And this is exactly what happened with the thief on the cross. He became acceptable in the sight of God because of the finished work of Christ to inherit the kingdom of God. So as you can see, there is absolutely no contradiction here. To solve this alleged error, all you have to do is read the very next verse, which explains that these sins were in these Christians' past. Before they got saved, they lived their lives as fornicators, idolaters, thieves, and other abominable things. But they were forgiven because of the gracious sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. But does this mean that Christians are perfect? Not at all. Romans 3.23 says that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The truth is that we are all unworthy to inherit the kingdom of God. But it's Christ and Christ alone that makes us worthy. Of course, that doesn't mean that we should keep living in sin. As Paul declares in Romans, we need to be living sacrifices to God. We need to turn our back on our sinful lifestyles and turn to right living with God. That's the, that's the one thing that we need to stress because there is an effort that you put into this when, when you're a Christian. Mm -hmm. And that effort is, I'm going to live better. That's right. But it's people who say, I'm a Christian, I'll live like I want. They don't have it. That's right. They yeah. do not understand it. There was no so, repentance in the yeah, first place. It, it's yeah, really, I mean, so it's really fascinating. Janice? Mm -hmm. That's exactly where I was going today in, in Live for Christ, my whole segment, because uh, Paul is talking about stewards of the mysteries of God. He starts off uh, chapter, uh, chapter 4, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So a steward is a, a manager, somebody who's a keeper, an overseer. So he's... Paul is, is talking here about leadership. He says, moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Can you imagine if, if you are a store owner and you hire a manager to take care of that store and they're being inappropriate? They are not, they're stealing from you. They are lying to clients. They are whatever. That is not a faithful steward. We need to, to look at Christian leadership, not, not only as pastors and leaders, but as individual followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are supposed to be a reflection of who he is in our world. We're, we're supposed to be a light, uh, that reflection. Are we? Christian leadership is not about who's better than who, one higher than the other, or making your message more palatable to the world. Oh, well, you know, we've evolved into this, or all, our culture is so far away from the word that, you know, I'm sure that God's looking at us and, and you know, um, we, we don't have to hold to the same truths that are in the Bible. That is not true. So we're not making the message more palatable to the world. That is not being a good steward with the mysteries of God. It's the gospel message of Christ and living that life with our words and our actions. So much more with our actions because words are cheap, aren't they? I can say a lot of things, but it's my reaction that comes in the moment that makes a difference. So this key verse today, 1 Corinthians 4 verse 2, moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. We really have to remember that whatever we do as followers of Christ, we do as unto him because we represent him to this world.
So wherever you are as a believer in Christ, whatever your job is, whether you're the pastor of a church, which is a calling, not a job, but if you have been called to be a pastor, or whether you're a police officer, or whether you work for the government, or whether you you are um, someone who collects the garbage, or works in a store, or a bank teller, or a nurse, or a doctor, I could go on and on. My point is that wherever God has placed you, he has placed you there to be a light, to be a steward of his word, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we can live our lives in front of those around us and be a witness and a testimony unto God. That, that they would say, oh, in this situation, how can you believe that? How can you have hope? How can you always be encouraged? How can you look at a situation and, and turn it around? Why is there brightness that comes into a room when you arrive? What is it with you? And that allows you to be able to share your testimony with others. Let's be faithful. Let's be good stewards. Let's be faithful to God. You know, who are we trying to kid? We can't fool God. He knows what we think. He knows what we say. Let's begin by being honest with God, coming to him, asking him to help change our hearts so that we can learn to follow him and to follow his word. It needs to matter to us more how we live for God than what the people around us think about how we live. Did you get that? More important to be right with God because then he will help us to live rightly in this world that largely doesn't know him. Let's be faithful stewards of the gospel message of Jesus Christ in our words and most importantly in our actions. I want to thank you for giving to this ministry and keeping faithful. And I would just like to ask you if it's possible that you would pray about and think about somehow being a part of our support. We're making decisions right now about going off stations and all of that, but we're always on the internet. And I want to thank you for helping us and standing with us. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would touch people who are our partners, bless them and help them today, Lord, in the midst of all this turmoil. In Jesus' wonderful name, and we said together, amen.